church. How are we doing today? Man, uh, you guys are a little bit uh, quiet for Pastor Mason. I can't have that. I won't lie. It'll hurt my feelings, and I won't be able to get through it. So are you awake this morning? Are you ready for today? Uh, I remember when I was growing up how much I hated uh, parent-teacher conferences. Anybody in here hate those when you were a kid? No, okay, you're back quiet on me already, all right. Um, I hated parent-teacher conferences, and the reason why was because I remember on the way to parent-teacher conferences, I would ride uh, with my mom and dad, and we would get to school, and we'd walk into the classroom and sit down at like a kidney bean table. You guys remember those tables from when you were in school? And we'd sit there, and I remember almost every year the same thing would happen. The teacher would sit down across from us, uh, and they would put their hands together and look down at their notes, and they'd say, Mr. and Mrs. Belt, Noah is a very intelligent kid, but he is so disruptive in class. He is so disruptive in class, I can't control him. And they would say things like, no matter where I move him in the classroom, uh, he will make friends with whoever's around him and then cause them to act out. I, I remember specifically my sixth grade year, uh, we had a teacher named Mr. Smeltzer. Uh, and Mr. Smeltzer was an interesting teacher, but during study time, he actually, a few days, moved my desk into the hallway. So I would sit out there so I wasn't disrupting anybody, which ended up backfiring on him because there was other kids in the hallway still. And then I was disrupting not only his class, but other classes. And anyways, I say all that to say this, is if this was you, maybe you hated these conferences too, or maybe you have a kid right now that is struggling uh, with these same things, chances are they will resonate uh, with the gift of the APES that we're going through today, and we're going to be talking about the evangelist. Say evangelist. For those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Pastor Noah. I serve as your youth pastor here. Give it up for Generations Youth real quick. <laughs> me and my wife, Julia, have the honor of leading Generations Youth, and we love what we get to do here. Um, but if you're already like, what did I sign up for this morning? This guy has way too much energy. I promise you Pastor Andrew will be back next week. But like Mason said, it is so awesome that we have a church that still moves on so that way our pastor can go have vacation with his family. Uh, who let me remind you, that's his first ministry. So um, I am so excited. And I may be biased, but I think we have the coolest youth ministry here. Uh, but anyways, we are in our series called This is Church. Say, this is church. this is church. And we're going through the five spiritual gifts, focusing on each spiritual gift and how God has uniquely gifted each of us for the purpose of building his church. These are known, like I said, as the apex gifts. And they're found in Ephesians 4.11 that goes like this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now these five gifts, if we continue reading down to verse 16, have a purpose that is to build and grow 
the church into supernatural unity and maturity that will be healthy, growing, and full of love. That sounds like a church that I want to be a part of, right? A church with unity that is healthy, growing, and full of love. Now I want to ask you real quick, how many of you have had the chance to take this test? If I raise a hand. That is incredible. If you're looking at me and you're like, hey, I have no idea what test you're talking about, you can scan the QR code on the back of the chair in front of you, and there will be a, a link in our link tree to take this test. And I'm asking you to take this test not because I want to pigeonhole you into an area of our church and say that, hey, you showed up as a teacher, so that means you can only teach. No, that, that's not what this is about. But we're using this test as a gauge to see where is your heart line up, right? What are the things, based off of your answers, where is your heart for ministry? So that way we as a church can come alongside you and to help partner with you in ministry. And so today we are going to be talking about the evangelist or the connector of need. If you are an evangelist, you love to socialize and spend time with people, whether this is breakfast, lunch, dinner, happy hour, whatever it is, you love being around people. And you are the one that people love to engage with at parties and events. More than anything, though, you care for people, and you want to see others succeed, and you are brilliant at pointing people to resources, products, and maybe services that can really help them. And whether you know it or not, your personality is contagious. Really, other people can feed off of your energy, and people are fascinated with how well you can light up a room. And I want to say this, evangelist, if you took that on your tests, you are absolutely needed right now in this world to maintain connection and the value of interpersonal relationship in a world and society that has left that for technology. In a world that has exchanged the one-on-one -on -one in human connection with social media. And where evangelists like to focus is the desire of the heart. When we talk about someone, they hear their desires and their core longings. Where we went over the pastor gifting here a few weeks ago, and they tend to focus on emotions and feelings, evangelists find the desire and what motivates a person, and they want to help connect them to something to fulfill that need. Evangelists tend to be very effective salespeople. And when I say salespeople, I don't want you to think that used car salesman, right? Although the used car salesman is probably an unhealthy evangelist, like we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but good salespeople are effective because they hear and understand the desire and they can point them in a direction that fulfills it. A good salesperson will say things like, I hear what you're saying, and what I'm selling isn't going to fit your needs. But there's a person down the street that maybe can help you out. They're willing to sacrifice themselves to see others shine. Evangelists are also really effective in spreading the church. They invite people 
into the church movement based on their needs and because they are effective at making natural, deep connections. They understand the desires of the people around them and they pull all people into Jesus who fulfills all things. Isn't that right? You know, there's not a lot of scripture on the evangelist in the Bible, right? This could be on purpose because if the evangelist only fit the culture of when the Bible was written, it would not work as effectively today, right? The world is such a different place today than it was back then. And so I think that's why it left out uh, the word evangelist in Greek. I'm going to attempt this, so bear with me. Is euangelistes. Man, I think I crushed that, okay? Um, I got three other Greek words that I got today, and I, I don't have as much confidence. But anyways, evangelist in Greek means the one who evangelizes or the proclaimer of the good news. The proclaimer of good news. And this word specifically was only mentioned in Scripture three times. The first one was in Ephesians 4.11, which we just read. Then we have Acts 21, verse 8, that says, The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. And then let's look at the third time where Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. There are also two other Greek words that have a similar meaning in root word. The first one is euangelion, which is the word for the gospel, which translates as well to the good news. And euangelizo, which is the action of preaching the gospel or bringing the good news. Or any form of good news. You see, this evangelist word was also in this time known as a military term. Right? They would, when they were in battle and victory was near, they would send out a messenger. Someone who was pretty quick, so they would not have sent me. Okay? To go run back to the city proclaiming the good news of victory. When we see these words in the Bible, they're pretty specific to the life, ministry, teachings, as well as the death and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, an evangelist, in essence, is the one who shares the good news. Hear me really quick, church, okay? When Paul used this term, evangelist, he knew what he was implying. Because our greatest news is that Jesus has won the victory. Come on. Over sin. And we can share in the kingdom of God today. Amen? That the kingdom of light has overcome the kingdom 
of darkness. And this is so fitting going into this Easter season, right? We don't serve a God who is dead. That's not why we're here. We're not here to learn about this historic events that took place. We're here to learn about Jesus. But at the core of biblical evangelism, it's just sharing the news of Jesus in any way. It's sharing the news of Jesus in any way. Sharing good, simple proclamations of what God has done in your life. The Ephesians 4 evangelists have a natural ability to share the good news that Jesus had done for them in a way that would meet the desires of the person they are talking to. We saw that Philip in the book of Acts was referred to as an evangelist. So I want to actually look at the life of Philip a little bit. Let's go to Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 5. It starts like this. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Verse 4, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Verse 5, everyone liked the idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, Philip, and five other names I'm not going to attempt today, okay? Uh, and we see that Philip was chosen as the leader of the first church program. Right? We have several ministries going on in our church, whether it's men's Bible study, we have women's group, we have a golf outing, we have so many different ministries. And Philip was chosen as one of the leaders to lead this first Group because he met the qualifications of being well-respected, full of wisdom, and full of the Spirit. But first off, a healthy evangelist is able to be a servant. We are called to be a servant. Just like they describe Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 52. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all of the people. You see, evangelists will have natural ability to connect and lead people to Jesus. But it is important not to neglect your own studies and time with Jesus. Your reputation does matter, right? It does matter, but hear me. This is not in a prideful way. And not to put your faith under being liked. But people should know that you are a person, a person of your word. And you should be living a life that is blameless. As 1 Timothy 3 says, to live your life above reproach. In the next chapter of Acts, chapter 7, Stephen ends up dying. Right, But his death was for his faith. He died a martyr's death. And so beautifully, he laid out the good news. While they're leading this ministry, they're leading this, this food kitchen, so to speak, he died sharing 
the good news. But this persecution of the church caused all believers to scatter out, which was, in essence, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, right? To go, therefore, and share the good news to all the nations. Because at this point, they were so focused on building their church, right? They were so focused on their Sunday morning gatherings, trying to get as many people in the seats to make their church look good and pretty, but that's not what church is about. Sunday mornings is not church, okay? This is a gathering of believers. This is a gathering of saints, and that's great, but church is so much more than just Sunday mornings. In Acts 8, we find out that Philip happened to be one of the first ever recorded to go and share the gospel outside of where he was in Jerusalem. Acts 8, verse 5, goes like this. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah. Verse 6, crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had laid there paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8, grab this. So there was a great joy in that city. What are we here for? Wouldn't it be awesome if this could be a church that seeks to have great joy in San Bernardino. If this could be a church that was not focused as much on Sunday morning gatherings, but we were focused on bringing joy to our city. Philip was a Jew that went to Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews were not friends. They would actually travel when they were leaving Jerusalem to do ministry work. They would travel around Samaria rather than going through it because they despised these people so much. These were their neighbors. And they would go around to avoid it. So today I want to look at four parts of a gifted evangelist. Point number one, evangelists have the desire to tear down the walls that other Christians have built up. They have a desire to tear down walls that religion has built up. They're usually very concerned with the groups of people that have been outcast, ignored, or even exiled by the church. If we look at Jesus' life as an example of how to evangelize, he was always with the people that no one else would go to. He was with the adulterous woman, the lepers, the Samaritans, the tax collectors, the poor, the broken, the murderers, the drunkards, the prostitutes. He was with them all. And Matthew 11, verse 19 says this, the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. I love this. This is so good. 
Jesus was so regularly with the outcasts that they started to label him as one. Grab what it then goes down to say in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. After being accused and shamed of hanging out with the wrong people, Jesus said this, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. That's pretty simple to me. I mean, if you're, if you're looking for a simple message for the church, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. What if a doctor only allowed healthy patients in? That would be crazy, right? Like, hey, you can't come in here. You might get me sick. Wow. That's backwards. But it's how the church can be sometimes. If you are an evangelist in this gifting, your heart probably hurts for those the church has mistreated. Maybe like refugees or immigrants or sick people or disabled, maybe addicts or those suffering with mental illness. Those who have been excluded from the church community. And you know what? We need you to help us see those people and to help us tear down those walls. Point two, evangelists usually have a life followed by miraculous signs and wonders. As we just read about Philip in Acts 8, sharing the gospel, evil spirits were cast out and many healings were done. Then we have in Acts 5.16 that said, crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and possessed by evil spirits. And they were all healed. All healed. We see this happening again with Philip at the end of Acts 8. As he leaves Samaria, he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch who is returning from worship in Jerusalem. And he is reading a passage of Scripture out of Isaiah. Let's read it together. Acts 8, verse 29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk alongside that carriage. Philip ran over and heard a man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. Let's jump down to verse 35 through 40. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came up to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and then they went into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in a town called Azotus. You see, Philip was directed by the Spirit. Philip was obedient to the Spirit that miraculously put him in front of a man that was ready to hear the gospel. Baptized him, and then somehow teleported somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know, that's pretty crazy to me. You know, those people that you hear 
that move in the gifts of healing, that maybe are heavily prophetic and have words of wisdom about people's lives at just the right time, or other miraculous things that are surrounding their lives are usually gifted evangelists. And I think it's because these are the people that are usually hanging out with all the lost, all the broken people. And that's where Jesus is, right? We just read it in Scripture that Jesus is hanging out with the outcasts. And so he shows up. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5 said this. In my message and my teachings were very plain. Rather than using clever, persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust, not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. It's not about our wisdom. It's about the power of God. And I would encourage you to spend your time evangelizing with the outcasts of the community and challenge yourself to put your faith in God and not in your own understanding. Because I believe he will show up in mighty ways. Point number three. Evangelists usually feel like the outcasts of the fivefold gifts. Since evangelists focus so much outside of the church walls, they are caught up in how do we reach the lost and often break away from the other four giftings because they can be too internally focused. Right? The other four giftings typically are focused more about connecting with the people that are already here or may have recently slipped away. This is why you see a lot of traveling evangelists because they've broken away from the normal church model. And this is all because these gifts haven't figured out how to work well together. Right inside our own church. Haven't figured out how to work well together. You see, Philip had a chance to do wrong, but he chose to work with all the gifts here in Acts Chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. He was ministering in Samaria, and it was going really well. It says this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed over these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon believers and received the Holy Spirit. See, Philip could have easily said, I got this. You already rejected these people, okay? Don't come in now because they've accepted the message. Don't join on last second because they've accepted this, okay? But instead... He remembered that all the gifts were needed to build God's church. Evangelists remember this. Without shepherds and teachers and pastors maturing the people that we bring in to the church, 
the church can be a very surface level, seeker-friendly place. It's not just about numbers. It's not about having the most people sitting in these seats on a Sundays so that way we can get a cool new building and have tons of people hear about us and be known. That's not what this is about. Jesus' goal that he gave us is to grow in maturity, unity, and love. But a lot of time as a church, we do need to be more outward focused. I want to take a second to talk about the purpose of this. What is the purpose of a Sunday morning gathering? You know, Andrew and I talk about this quite frequently. Because in my flesh, I would love... Uh, for church to be about 55 minutes end-to-end, right? Get in and out like a robbery. We could beat every other church to lunch in time, and then we could have a great rest of our Sunday. That's like, in my flesh, that's what I want. But in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 14, he is instructing churches how to act. He says this, So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if you all are or, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meetings, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you said. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly among you. Paul, in this portion of scripture, is basically saying that gatherings, sure, they're for believers. But I think you should think about the unbelievers too when they walk in so they don't just think you're a bunch of crazy people and then get a bad taste in their mouth. So that leads me to my fourth point. Evangelists can struggle with being rooted and committed to one church body. Acts 21, 8-9 says this, The next day they went to Caesarea and stayed in the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Twenty years later, though, we find out that somewhere along the way, Philip stopped traveling. He established some roots in a local community, got married, and had four daughters. This is a word of caution to you if you are gifted as an evangelist. A lot of evangelists are those who travel around and speak and they see all these big miracles. But if you're not careful, you will forget who God has instructed as our first ministry. Right? And that's your family. Unless, and we often see this, evangelists choose for this reason to not get married. And that's an okay option if that's what you want too. But your desire falls second to your family. 
So what is the role of the evangelist in the local church? The first role of the evangelist in the local church is to draw people into the church. And you can do this by proclaiming God's grace. Evangelists, don't miss the opportunity to share the gospel and even make an opportunity to share if it can lead to someone coming to Christ. You know, evangelists aren't always the greatest speakers, right? But Paul said that's okay. My words were plain, so that way I don't mess up the message. And you know, they can struggle with being a little iffy in the moral areas too. And sometimes it's because they're not really walking with God. But somehow they're still leading people to Jesus. The gift exists in you, but something more powerful and amazing happens when the Spirit empowers your gifts. And when I say to you, real quick, to preach the gospel, I'm not telling you to be someone that is standing on the street corners proclaiming that Christ is near, repent, and turn away. Like, if we were talking gifts, that's probably more of like an unhealthy prophet anyways. And if you haven't watched the sermon series, I would encourage you to go back and to watch these because it's very crucial in how the church functions. But this isn't what I'm talking about. Evangelists are called to share the good news. And even more, I want to encourage you to live a life that causes people to ask you. Right? Let your light shine. Non-evangelist people can learn a lot from evangelist skills. The way, do you ever have someone in your life that can just sneak good into everything? And I don't mean it in like an unhealthy silver lining way, but someone that's able so effortlessly to see the good, the way that they care for others, the way that their heart is for the outcasts, and maybe that they're so good at pointing people into directions for how they can be healthy. But the secret to evangelism is this. It's keeping one ear open to the person you're talking to and one ear open to God, allowing him to always speak and flow through you. This leads me to my next role for the evangelist, is to keep the church looking outward. We need this as a church. With all the other gifts, non-gifted evangelists aren't off the hook for sharing the gospel, right? We are all called to share the gospel. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 through 38, he said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. The harvest is great. There are more people on earth today than ever before but we still need more workers. 
1 Peter 3.15 says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as your Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Right? Step one was that you lived a life causing someone to ask about your hope. And then step two was to be ready to explain it. So what causes people to ask questions, right? What causes people to ask where your hope comes from? I believe this can be found with the help of Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Verse 15. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It is said that Christians need to be the good news before they can share the good news. Are you being the good news to today, Generations Church? In John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus says this, But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus was the example of the light that we must shine, and he left us to take up this task and carry it forward. And to use his life as our role model for how we should live. In closing, I want to look real quick at the signs of a healthy and an unhealthy evangelist. A healthy evangelist will love people. They are relational. And they are invitational. They are great at giving opportunities for others to have their needs met. And their gift is being given to others to help them. And then we have two sides of an unhealthy evangelist. The first side, while ignoring their gifts, is a party animal. Evangelists ignoring the gift feed their desires instead of leading them to resources that will help them. Often they begin to indulge with their own desires as well. Sometimes it's because they're not confident in their gift to help themselves or others. The other side is a manipulator when they're using their gift selfishly. They use the felt needs and desires against others to indulge or to get their own way. This is that sketchy car salesman, right? They have quotas to meet, and so they're going to manipulate you in order to fulfill themselves. And then we have evangelists in this idea of the metaphorical church. We've been talking about where if we were building a physical church, Where would each one of the gifts play their part? And the evangelists are the ones going out to find the material to build the church. Because most things 
back then were made out of stone, they were the ones breaking off these huge pieces of stone and bringing them to the building site, where then you had the gifted pastors and teachers that would help shape those stones to fill and to fit into place in the church. And then we have the third thing. The third role of the evangelist. So we, our first point was to draw people into the church. The second point was to keep the church looking outward. And then the third point was to raise up other evangelists. You are called to not only be an evangelist, but disciple other evangelists. And this is how we have a healthy church. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for all of these gifts that you've given us as your church. God, to unify and grow a healthy church that is seeking after you. God, and that we would be a church that is full of love. God, that we would not be a church that is so inwardly focused that we forget about all that is around us, God, but that we would be a church that is constantly looking for ways to serve and minister to our community. And God, I pray that we would be a church that has a passion and desire to go after your heart. And I thank you for this church, your church, Generations Church. Amen. Go and connect with the lost today. We'll see you next week.